It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 931-381-4567 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And we're here tonight. We're glad that you are as well. This is the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, August 30th, 2012. Thank you for joining us on the program tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here. Hello, Dad. Welcome back. Jacob, great Well, you were here last week. I was here last week, but I've been gone in between then and now. But I'm, sure. I'm glad to be back. Glad to be with you on the Virtual Bible Study. And uh, we are glad that you're here. And uh, Jeff is behind the controls. We're glad that you're here tonight, Jeff. And uh, we're glad that you're listening, and we're looking forward to your participation. As we have uh, one of those open forum quest- uh, programs tonight where lots of different questions that have been submitted, no uh, specific theme, and we can try and squeeze in a question from you if you'd like, or if we can't get to it, we'll put it in our pile for the next time we do this kind of program. Yeah, it's, we, we do this every couple months or so, maybe I every three months. I think they're getting more frequent because you get more questions. Are you getting more questions? We get more questions, yeah. and so uh, and that's good because that's, we want this to be a listener participation program, We and as we always say, it's better when we have that audience yes, participation, is. and so this is, this is a good thing to get questions, and uh, we don't proclaim to have all the answers, uh, but we'll throw them out there and see if we get some help answering some of these questions in our chat room and with phone calls and emails. So get in touch with us as we go along in the program tonight. That's the benefit of sending us your questions. You don't get the answer from just one person. You get the answer from the whole audience uh, in, around the world. So submit your question. And that's right. And, and, of course, that being the case, and always is the case with the virtual Bible study, we're not expecting you to take our answer or anybody else's answer as authoritative unless it can be established that it's what the Word of God says. Right. There's our authority. Right, and we're not asking you to agree with us. We're asking you to agree with the Scriptures. And if you disagree with us, but you think you're in harmony with the Scriptures, we especially welcome your comments tonight. The number to call is 877-381-4567. The email address is questions at collegeview.com. And the chat room is open to the right of your video window. I see Kevin and Brad in there, and uh, well, hopefully others are filing in. If you see, show up as me in the chat room, you are not signed in. Follow the instructions at the bottom of the chat window. All right. Well, let's just dive in, Jacob, and uh, see what we well, can do. We've got with. some interesting questions here. Uh, uh, we'll get to some here about, uh, well, slaughtering of animals. Yeah, we've we uh, got, we got one we're going to get to about the gates of Hades here from Ramona coming up right quick. Then we're going to talk about instrumental music and baptism. Yeah, in one question, instrumental music and baptism in one question, that's a pretty good combination. Then we're going to talk about women in the church from 1 Timothy 2. We're going to talk about cruelty to animals, and then we're going to talk about false teachers. That's sort of the general topics that are coming up. The first question, let's go to it, Jacob. The first question is from a regular listener in Texas, Ramona, and uh, she has asked about Matthew 16, 18. Mm -hmm. I I think that verse will will probably... uh, uh, sort of strike a chord you've heard of that verse no doubt yes. and heard it quoted many times yes. jesus had asked his disciples who do men say that i am verse 13 matthew 6 they said some say thou art john the baptist some elias others jeremiah one of the prophets he said to them but whom say ye that i am and simon peter answered said thou art the christ the son of the living god 
And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee that upon the, I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. There's always some questions about thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Of course, the Catholic Church teaches, and we've got some emails here from Patrick, uh, who, who is a Catholic who listens in Birmingham. Uh, Catholics try to argue that Jesus, that Jesus saying, you are the rock, Peter, I'll build right. my church upon you. Right. But we think that's a very flawed uh, interpretation of the verse. Uh, we might get into that a little later. But Ramona's question is about the last part of the verse where it says the gates of hell. That's King James Version. It should accurately be the gates of Hades. That's one of the, that's one of the flaws of the King James Version. Right. They, they treat hell and Hades synonymously, and they're not. This should be Hades, the gates of Hades, the realm right. of the departed. Of course, Hades, yes. the realm of departed spirits, the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And she wants to know, does this mean the church would not go out of existence, uh, for example, in the dark, back in the Dark Ages era? Or does it mean that Jesus, if, that if Jesus failed to come out of Hades, then the church would not have been established? In other words, he's going to go to Hades. Yeah. When he died on the cross, he did. He yes. told the thief, thou mm-hmm. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Right. Paradise is part of Hades. Yes. Jesus went to Hades. If he never came out of Hades, in other words, he died and never resurrected, then would, then the church would not have been established, in the, in, and Hades would have prevailed against the establishment of the church. Now, uh, her question is mainly, did the church go out of existence after the Roman Catholic Church took over up to the time of the Restoration? Right. Uh, so she was wants to know about that. We'll talk about. So there's really two questions. Yeah. Well, actually, there's two potential explanations to that mm-hmm. gates of Hades. I think we're getting both of them here in your response. Yeah, I think in our responses we'll see both. But but just uh, let, let me give you a thumbnail sketch of what I think both of the two explanations. One is what she said: if Jesus died and was not resurrected, right. then then death would have prevailed over the establishment of the kingdom. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and that's one view. The other view is that it's just talking about sort of all the forces of evil will not prevail against the church. Okay. Uh, in other words, the, the church is going to be established and it's going to endure. You're not going to do anything about it. The it? church will not go out of existence, okay. so to speak. I think both explanations fit. I don't, I don't even know if I have a strong preference which one. I think either. I think I could go with either one or both of those explanations to fit the wording of Jesus there. Let us know your thoughts in the chat room tonight. Eric in Fayetteville says, The kingdom established by Christ cannot be shaken, Hebrews 12:28. His kingdom is also not of this world, John 18:36. Even though Christians are on, earth, on earth are citizens, I believe there have probably always been faithful Christians somewhere, but I do not believe the church or kingdom would cease to exist if there was a period of time when nobody on earth was faithfully following God's word. Even then, the church in the universal sense would continue to exist. Okay. So he's saying, you know, even if there wasn't anybody yeah. on earth that was being faithful, the church would still exist. You know, there, there is this question, Jacob. Can we trace? In other words, we, we're trying hard to be like the church we read about in the first century that we read about in our New Testament. But we don't believe that there's a necessary organic track. In other words, you can just follow it back in history. Here, here's this guy. And there's the guy that taught him, the guy that taught him, the guy that taught him. We can we can trace an unbreakable chain of succession yes. all the way back to the first century. Right. We don't believe that that's necessary. Right. If if we take the same seed that is taught in the Word of God and plant it in in 
2012, then we'll get the same result they got back there in the first century. And that's all we're, that's all we're trying to do. All right. And we're going worldwide tonight with our responses. James from South Africa is uh, commenting, and he says, Hades is used interchangeably with death, like Sheol in the Old Testament. Jesus was referring to the fact that his own death would not prevent the church from being established. The church never ceased to exist. Local churches may or may not have existed in different places, but always have had the potential to exist through the seed of the kingdom, God's work. That's what you're saying about the seed being planted. Right. Our friend Chris in Atlanta, uh, we always uh, credit him with being our most faithful correspondent. Chris is really good to help us out in the virtual Bible study. We thank you, Chris. He said, when Jesus established his church, it was established once and for all. He died for our sins and was resurrected. There is nothing and no one that can undo and destroy the church. As far as the statement about the church going out of existence after the Catholic Church took over, I don't believe that is the case. Christ is the head of his church, so as long as Christ lives, the church lives. Additionally, we have evidence of people worshiping and serving God as he commanded prior to Campbell. We talked about that on a recent yes, version of the uh, virtual Bible study. I, you know, that, again, I don't feel any urgency to prove that that is the case, but it just seems to me that honest-hearted souls who had access to the Word of God, and who who diligently tried to apply it, would have continued throughout the ages, even though we have very, you know, minimal information about what was going on in some eras of history. So what you're saying uh, is our approach to handling the scriptures and following them is not a novel idea. It's something that you know took some rocket scientists to figure oh, out. Oh, so it, it took somebody in the 1800s in America to finally figure out. Oh, <laughs> oh this you're is... supposed to do what God said. Yeah. Oh, why didn't we think of that earlier? Yeah. Okay. Right. Chris in the United Kingdom says uh, Matthew sixteen eighteen the gates of hell does not will not prevail against it. Does does this? That's uh, you does, just from, oh, yeah. oh, okay. Uh, if I read the verse and or passage correctly, the church would be built on the confession that Peter makes that being Jesus is, is the Christ, the Son of the Living Which, God. Which, by the way, I think is the right interpretation of that verse. Yes. That, yes. I think that's the truth. Jesus is the Son of God. Upon that rock, the church is built. Yes, I agree with that. And, uh, and, and all the acts of the devil cannot remove that truth or make it of none effect. To be baptized in the body of Christ, which is the church, you need to know that Jesus was sent for a purpose, Christ being one who is anointed for a certain purpose, that being to seek and to save the lost, amongst other things, and that, and that achieved by the cross, affirmed by the resurrection, and received by belief in him, confessing him as Lord, and, being bab- and are baptized uh, for their mission of sins, and shown by a life lived for him. So that by their fruits you will know whose people they are. This is the church age, so there will be a time when there will be no more church, but that will be at the Lord's return, and we collectively will be taken away. And the true dark age will come when the Spirit's uh, restraining influence on the earth will be withdrawn, and and as will as much as it were in the time of the judges when all will do as what is good in their own eyes. I think uh, Chris is alluding to maybe a premillennial, uh, a rapture there, I believe. Um, as far as the church disappearing during the dark ages, I yeah, guess. I don't agree. I don't agree with him concerning. Right. The, 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 yeah, we'll, we'll let that pass for now. During the, the about the church disappearing during the dark ages, yes, there was persecution by Muslims. But if they were gone, then how did the subsequent uh, crusades occur? Not that uh, not that was the shining period in the church history. And also included the establishment of the canon of scripture. It was maligned by intellectuals and the elite. But the church developed ra- uh, rather than regress during that time, actually to call that dark what we would call our period in history with declining biblical literacy, gospels, or sermons that pander to people rather than God, 
and what we get rather than what it cost God, an aggressive approach to the new atheist and the secularization of society. But the church still stands, and there are true-believing churches out there who need prayer and support. Okay, so, so I, I think with the exception of maybe a little bit of a hint of premillennialism in that, I think I would agree with most of what he said. We've got a longer uh, answer from Patrick in Birmingham. Patrick is uh, a practicing Catholic, yes. and so it's, he's got a rather interesting take on this. Remember, the question is the gates of Hades will not prevail against the church that Jesus would establish. Yeah. Now, Patrick would disagree with us upon the basis of what, mm-hmm. that the church is, what is the church built upon. He, yeah. he, he's going to believe it's Peter. He'll mention that yeah. here. We believe it's the identity of Jesus that the church is built on. But here's something I had never heard before, and I think it's somewhat interesting. He says, sometimes I think photos of important places in the Holy Land should be included in the Bible because they can often help readers understand the text better. This passage in Matthew 16 18 is an exemplary passage where a picture is definitely worth a thousand words. I encourage anyone listening to do an Internet search for Photo of the Rock at Caesarea Philippi. Oh, we know everybody's going to Google now. Okay, now, he says, following is a quote from Josephus in the Wars of the Jews. He said, when Caesar had further bestowed upon him another additional country, he built there also a temple of white marble hard by the fountains of Jordan. The place is called Panium, where is that? where is a top of a mountain that is raised to an immense height, and at its side beneath or at its bottom a dark cave opens itself, within which there is a horrible precipice that descends abruptly into a vast depth. It contains a mighty quantity of water, which is uh, immovable. And when anybody lets down anything to measure the depth of the earth beneath the water, no length of cord is sufficient to reach it. Now the fountains of Jordan rise at the roots of this cavity outward, and as some think, this is the utmost origin of Jordan, and so on. He says, in Jewish folklore, the deep chasm was the literal gates of Hades, and the giant rock above it was seen as sealing off the gate. Is this the backdrop? It is th- in this backdrop that Jesus speaks the words recorded in Matthew 16, 17 through 19. Uh, and then he quotes it. Now, there's good reason to believe the rock is the Apostle Peter. We disagree. But regardless of what the rock is, Patrick goes on to say, Jesus is saying that he will build his church upon this firm foundation, and the church will never be destroyed. This understanding is the traditional one and harkens back to Jesus' own words in Matthew 7, 24 and following. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house upon a rock. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine does them, uh, does not do them, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. So, uh, interesting input here from Patrick, who suggests that there was a physical place that the Jews identified as the gates of Hades. Yeah. Uh, and but and, and I think he agrees with us. Jesus is basically saying, no force of evil is going to be able to prevail against the church or or bring it to an end. Okay. All right. Appreciate those comments, Patrick. And uh, the chat room is getting busy. Uh, Kevin uh, says, as we talked about the fact that Satan couldn't do anything about the church, he also says we don't want to underestimate the power of Satan. He's like a roaring lion, and we don't want to underestimate him. So we appreciate uh, that comment. And John in Edmond, Oklahoma says, consider the power of the word as seen in 1 Peter 1, 23 through 25, ending with, in verse 25, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached unto you. If the word did not fail, then neither did its abilities uh, to convert fail. So John's saying that that seed was still there. Certainly it would bear fruit. I think that's right. Okay. Uh, He says also history does not always record those in the minority, which Christians always are. Well, that's true. That's why we wouldn't have maybe reference throughout history of of 
faithful Christians pursuing the simple New Testament They're not pattern. very newsworthy, typically, yeah. yeah. Uh, Brad says, as the church is the collective body of the saved, it is possible that the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. It's simply the idea that those who belong to the Lord have eternal life. He wants to know that. Is it, is it possible that it, it, it's talking about eternal life? Uh, Hades will not prevail against them. That is, to hold them in its cage forever, then they will eventually enjoy resurrection and life with God in heaven. I think if you take the passage in that general sense, that, yeah. the, that the church will not be overcome, evil forces of evil will not overpower the church, that that would be a part of that explanation. Okay, all right. I could go with that. Um, got an email from Randy up in Michigan. I was up in Michigan recently, and I was hoping to be able to meet Randy, but he's been real sick, Jacob. Uh, oh. And so uh, maybe this email suggests that he's feeling some better. He, yeah, he, I'm glad that uh, that's true. He points out that the word here in Matthew 16 18 should be Hades, the place of departed spirits. He says what Jesus is saying in this verse is that death would not prevent him from establishing the assembly, the called out, or the church. Our Lord Jesus never failed at anything he said he would do. Okay. So really two potential explanations. I don't see really anything wrong with either one. Both fit. Okay. And so uh, they both, they, either way you take that, it conveys what I think is, is a truth. All right. Something else fits, and that's a break right now. We're going to take it, and we'll get back. Sean wants to know about the piano and baptism. How's he going to work those in the same question? Well, let's see what we can do with it. We'll talk about that on the other side. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study will continue right after this. Enjoying the virtual Bible study? Email a friend during this break and tell them to join in on the discussion. There's more exciting Bible study after this commercial. Do you remember a time when no one had ever heard of a church with a family life center or a gymnasium? Can you think back to a time when good brethren would have been outraged to see a church budget overloaded with kitchen equipment and supplies, athletic equipment, and buses to carry kids to amusement parks? Are you concerned because the church you're attending has gotten all wrapped up in things that you know should not even be a part of the work of the church? Would you like to find a congregation that is committed to simply doing Bible things in Bible ways? If so, please visit us soon. Come and see for yourself. Visit us at the College View Church of Christ this Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. Here's some quotes worth pondering. What we do upon some great occasion will probably depend on what we already are, and what we are will be the result of previous years of self-discipline. Don't be curious of matters that don't concern you. Never speak of them, and don't ask about them. Here's the test to find whether your mission on earth is finished. If you're alive, it isn't. All that a man does outwardly is but the expression and completion of his inward thoughts. To work effectively, he must think clearly. To act nobly, he must think nobly. Man, I wish I'd said that. Use your Internet connection for something good. Listen to the virtual Bible study every week. Now, back to the program. We're welcoming you back to the program tonight. As we took a look at various listener questions, and that means uh, we're reminding you that you can send your question in as well, and we can include it tonight if we have time. It doesn't look like we will, but we could uh, include it in a future program such as this. So send your comments or questions anytime to questions at collegeview.com. These are obviously unrelated questions, so yes, we're right. moving to a new topic. This is an here. ADD-friendly program. Yeah, tonight. if you've got ADD, <laughs> you like tonight's program. Here's well, our, what were we just talking about? I forgot. It doesn't matter. We're going okay, on. Go on, we're going on. on. Okay. Uh, the next question is, I noticed that this is a Church of Christ denomination. He's, this is a, a, a fellow. He's found the virtual Bible study. He's listened to some of our episodes. I'm glad you found us, Sean. Uh, he says, I listened to your podcast about instruments in church services. We use just a piano, but sing a lot of a cappella. I, di- I see you disagree with instruments. I have a question. Your denomination believes in baptism, believes that baptism is a must, 
What about the thief on the cross next to Christ? He wasn't baptized, and he is with, with Christ. You must be careful. It's okay to disagree, but you cannot say that people that use instruments in service is wrong uh, with the must-be-baptized doctrine. Now, that's wrong and is plain in Scripture. I enjoy your show, and many blessings to all who help with it, he says. Well, thank you, Sean. I'm glad that you sent your question in. All right, well, we don't use a piano. We don't believe instruments are instructed by God or authorized by God. We want to worship God in a way that he will be pleased. And the only way that we know that he will be pleased is by worshiping the way he said. And he said to sing in the New Testament. We don't have any uh, instruction or allusion to the fact that uh, people used instruments to worship God in the New Testament. You know, if we're seeking New Testament authority, that, and that's what we've got to do, Jesus nailed the Old Testament law to his cross, Colossians 2, 14 through 16. We're, we don't live under the Old Testament law. We can't go back there for authority. We seek our authority in the New Testament. In the New Testament, we are, we are commanded to sing. There's no authority, either by command, example, or inference, concerning the use of instrumental music in New Testament New Testament worship to God. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to follow New Testament. We're not arguing that they didn't use it in the Old Testament. They, they did use it in the Old Testament. We're not Testament. arguing they're not gonna, they don't use it in, in heaven. The angels do play harps. But we we're just, talking about mortal human beings living in the current age, serving the Lord in his church by virtue of New Testament authority. We just don't have it. It's not there. But did you notice that Sean didn't offer any no. passages? in support of the use of instruments? Right. No, that's what we're saying, Sean. We're saying we can't do it. It's not a question of personal preference. No. If it was up to me, we'd have full, we'd have full-scale oh, yeah. band. Yes, and yeah, it'd make my I, thing I think be... Jeff, I think I think I have Jeff playing lead guitar. You All know? right. But we, we... I mean, it would make... It'd make the, I think it'd make the singing a lot better. I like too. to hear that. Yeah. I'm not kidding. I'm not just being I'm facetious. I'm not either. I like to hear that. But And so it's not a question of personal preference, likes and dislikes. It's a question of can we justify it by virtue of New Testament authority, and it's just not there. And Sean didn't have it either. He didn't mention a single verse here in support of instrumental music. And Jay, we've studied this many times on the verse yeah. Bible, so we don't have to go into great just depth. Look at there, there are whole there. whole programs in the archives right. on instrumental music. We talked to uh, we talked uh, with to a uh, Baptist, Baptist preacher just a few months. Uh, one point I would reiterate is that church historians, and this doesn't necessarily prove anything at all, no. but church historians are in unanimous agreement that the early Christians did not use instrumental music right. in their worship services. And that was a real break because in, in the Jewish temple services and in their synagogues, they did use instruments. And they didn't. When they became Christians, they didn't use them. And, and all church historians agree about that. And so you would have to say that the addition of instruments are something that men brought in later. It's not in the New Testament. It wasn't practiced in the first century. Okay. And now... Jacob, what about this question concerning the thief on the cross? He's saying, he said, you, you, you can't say we're wrong to use instruments. But I'm telling you what, you are way wrong on you've got to be baptized. What about the thief on the cross? He wasn't baptized. All right. Now, I'm, 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 I have a little bit of trouble with the connection here. I guess he's saying that uh, you, you, I don't really know how the I, two connect. Do you? I think he's, I think he's arguing, I, I guess he's, it doesn't make much sense to me, but I guess he's arguing that we're being inconsistent. We're condemning something we shouldn't, uh, and we're failing to do something we should. Okay. Or, or no, we're condemning something we shouldn't in the instrument, 
and we're on, we're insisting on something that we shouldn't in regards to baptism. Okay. So I think he's charging us with inconsistent application of scripture. All right. Um, what about the thief on the cross? Well, there are lots of things that we could say about the thief on the cross. First thing we could say is that Jesus had the power to forgive sins while he was on the earth. He proved that with the miracles that he worked. And uh, the thief on the cross was not the only person who's Jesus, who Jesus uh, forgave their sins. But we would also go on to say that Jesus is not around today to tell us that our sins are forgiven, but he did leave an instruction before he left this earth for how we could get our sins forgiven. And that instruction is recorded in verses like Mark 16, verses 15 and 16. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. So we believe, again, we want Jesus and God to accept us. We want Jesus and God to forgive our sins. And the only way that we know that he will is by following the instructions that he's given us. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, Mark 16, verse 15 and 16. So there you have it, Sean, an easy answer. Uh, we're not challenged by the question, but I hope you appreciate what we just did. We said we don't do the instruments because there's no Bible for it. We do do baptism because there's a host of Bible verses that teach the necessity of it. Now, if you disagree and if you've got Bible to prove that we're wrong about that, we'd entertain you in person on the virtual Bible study, but... Oh, really, please appreciate what we're doing here. We're going to the Scripture for authority. There is none for the instrument of music and worship, and there's just an abundance of, of information, authority, command concerning the necessity of baptism for the missions. That's right, and we do believe there are uh, numerous passages that teach that baptism is a must, and you say it's not in the Scripture and that it's just plain wrong. Well... Uh, we would disagree. Again, we would rec welcome you to come or uh, someone you know that might be willing to come and talk with us. We would be cordial and friendly, as you can find from other uh, uh, episodes of our program where we had people who disagree with us. We would welcome that so we can understand your position better. Okay, real quick the to ADD, the chat room. The ADD is flaring up in the chat room, by the real, way. Real quick to the chat room. Yeah. I want to go back. Uh, Pat, we got Patrick in the chat room who also sent us an email. He was the one that sent us the email about the, the literal place called the Gates of Hades. In Caesarea Philippi, uh, Patrick's in the chat room tonight, and he says, uh, you know, the idea that we don't have ref record of the church through the ages. He says Jews were also in the minority. It had been observed earlier that, and we mentioned that Christians, true Christians, were always in the minority. He says Jews were always in the minority, but arguably by divine providence, the Jews kept accurate historical records. Would God not have also preserved by his providence the historical records of the church? John responds, I would, I would not think so unless there was a need in keeping men faithful beyond the written word. The record of Acts was necessary. Uh, but that's my opinion, though, and not written in stone. I, I would agree with John. Why would we have to have a record of the church through the ages? Uh, we had to have a record of the Jews through right. the ages right. because we had to be able to, to bring the lineage of Abraham all the way to Jesus. Right. So we had to have the history of the Jews. And so that, in answer to Patrick's comment, yes, we had to know about the Jews, and it was necessary to preserve their history. But today, me being a Christian is not dependent at all upon being able to identify someone in 1492 who right. was a Christian. Right. I'm not, my, my serving the Lord today on the basis of the New Testament is not dependent upon somebody being there throughout all those ages. All right, 877-381-4567. And Brad has submitted his response in the chat room. 
I say that the doctrine uh, that baptism is a must is, in fact, correct and is quite plain in Scripture. So now that I've refuted his assertion with an assertion, let's look at what the Scripture says. Acts 2.38, Mark 16.16, 16, Acts 22.16, Romans 6.3 and 4. Nothing that Jesus had to say to the thief on the cross or to the paralytic lower through the roof has any bearing on his latter command that we must be baptized to be saved. Very good. All right, let's let's go to our our uh, bullet point break. A couple minutes early. Jay. What are we going to do these? We got lots of responses. Oh, we got more responses. We haven't answered yet. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, quick, yeah, go, well, quick. Go yeah, to quick. Go to go go go. Eric says the thief on the cross was saved before Jesus died, and thus the new commandment, uh, new covenant, came into effect. Hebrews twelve uh, nine and through fifteen through seven. Hebrews nine fifteen through seventeen. For several reasons, we should not look to his conversion as normative for us today. Regarding whether baptism is a must or not, consider Paul's words. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, Galatians 3, verse 27. Those who have put on Christ are in Christ, uh, uh, and are in Christ are those who have been baptized. Baptism and instrumental music are not related except in the sense of how we understand New Testament authority. All right, good. Uh, James in South Africa says, I agree with what Jesus and Peter said about it. He, quote, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved, and, quote, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the remission of sins, Mark 16, 16, and Acts 2, 38. If that's not clear, Peter also says that baptism saves us, First Peter 3, 21. These instructions were given, were all given after the resurrection. Chris in Atlanta says the thief was not under the new covenant, and Jesus had the power to forgive sins. I must strongly disagree that Scripture teaches against the necessity of baptism. Just read First Peter 3, 21, Acts 2, 38, Mark 16, 16. Many people cherry-pick scriptures to support their faith-only positions, such as John 3.16. Sadly, they miss the boat in their inter- interpretation. Using their logic, I could teach that you must keep the Ten Commandments and sell everything and give to the poor by quoting Matthew 19, verses 17 through 20. But we all know that would be taking scripture out of context. All right, Chris in the U.K. says, okay, we have to know what we need to stand for. If it's a salvation issue, then that is a must. Firstly, it's hard to baptize a man nailed to a cross. He's talking about the thief on the cross. Though I do not know how we deal with deathbed conversions or if someone gets saved and dies before a chance of baptism can occur. Of course, I would disagree with that that chronology. I think you are saved when you are baptized. You're not saved and then baptized. I would not believe they would be lost if ultimately God would be the judge. Well, but Chris, with all due respect, that's what you said. I what you believe, you can't base that on the scripture. You can't you can't offer a hope of salvation for someone who was not baptized for the remission of sins. If God's going to save them, He didn't reveal to us how. And therefore, it's only our burden to teach what we know. And what we know is we you have to be baptized for the remission of sins. Uh, he said, uh, in general, you have to be struck that there are numerous baptisms in Acts, with Paul's being the longest between conversion and baptism at three or four days. Again, I disagree. I think Paul was not saved until he was baptized. Acts 22:16. Ananias told him, Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. That was after three days of fasting and prayer. He still wasn't saved. He was still in his sins. He had to be baptized, Acts 22:16, to wash away his sins. Uh, Surely we are commanded to do only two ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper. If you love me, Jesus said, you will keep my commandments. Why would you delay your obedience? As to the music during the worship, we are to sing hymns, psalms, and spiritual songs. As far as witnessing goes, we can help those who are new to sing the songs and and so give accompaniment, we can become all things to all men, and so by the grace of God we can save some. We talked, uh, Chris made this point before, and we never have really fully understood. He, he talks about singing in worship, but in witnessing, maybe to sing with accompaniment. And I, I don't understand that distinction, so we'll leave that for another discussion. 
All right, and we have an interesting comment from Patrick. Patrick said regarding the thief on the cross, it is true that he was not baptized, and there are various arguments to explain this. However, I would state that, first of all, it is sin which separates man from God. Consider Luke 5, verses 8 through 15, and this is where they, uh, they lowered the paralyzed man uh, through the roof, he, and Jesus forgave his sins. He says, we know that Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. He is God in the flesh. Likewise, when he forgave the sins of the thief on the cross, he removed the barrier which separated him from God in the first place sin. Stop right there. I think Patrick's making the right point. When Jesus was here in person, he could forgive men's sins any way he wanted. And he did. The thief on the cross is not the only person who, to whom Jesus forgave their sins. Yes. While he was alive, while he was here in person, he could do that any way he wanted. Yes. But, but after he's dead... The only way that we can know to receive the blessing that he extends is through the New Testament instructions that he gives us, including baptism for the remission of sins. All right. Now, he goes on and, and makes the connection that, uh, that uh, Sean was making. As for the use of mechanical instruments in worship, I likewise believe that there is nothing wrong with the use of musical instruments in worship. Rather than answer with a statement, I'd rather reply with a question. You claim that the Greek word baptizo literally means immersion, and thus baptism must be by immersion only. In Ephesians 5.19 and Colossians 3.16, we have references to singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. The Greek word psalmos refers to the strumming of strings on a musical instrument, yet you deny that musical instruments are authorized in worship. The oft-used argument that thus refers to the vocal cords is absurd, as A, the vocal cords are not strummed or plucked, and B, the word has never been used to mean that. So my question is, why the double standard in biblical interpretation? I have, an, I have a response to that. Okay, go ahead. The word baptizo does not mean dip in water. It means to dip. You could be dipped in fire, baptized by fire. You could be dipped in blood. In fact, the Bible uses it that way. Yes. So we don't say the, the Greek word that means dip means you have to be baptized in water. We use the context. The same way, way we use the word solo in the context, it tells us what is to be plucked. You make melody in your heart, okay. and there's no, there's no. Uh, we never made that argument, by the way. We never made the argument that the that the plucking is of the vocal cords. No. That that argument has never been made on the verse no, Bible it hasn't. study. No, it hasn't. Uh, we, we we're not we're not basing our argument on that. But but the word psalm, uh, or solo, sol, salmos, the Greek word salmos. Uh, if Patrick, I'm, I'm a little surprised. Do a little more homework on that. I think you're going to find out that that's a later meaning of the word. In the first century, the word did not have the same suggestion of accompaniment with instruments. And it's interesting that no Greek scholar who has ever translated the New Testament ever translated that word to mean sing with instrumental musical accompaniment. It's never been translated that way translated that way by any English translation that I'm aware of anyway, and I know several dozen. And there's no English translation that ever translates it that way. Furthermore, if that is the case, it would be a direct command to use musical instruments, would it not? It would. And it wouldn't be optional. It wouldn't be optional. It would be a command. You have to do this, according yeah. to these verses. And we know from history that first century Christians did not. So why didn't they follow the instruction? If they understood the Greek, they knew what they were saying. Why didn't they follow yeah. that instruction? Now we've got to hurry. Uh, uh, Randy in, in Michigan says, Jesus and the thief on the cross died under the law of Moses, not under the law of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's no way we can say that the thief was not baptized by John. And Jesus said this in Mark 16, 16, he, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. Uh, the New King James Version, Jesus is the one who said, all must believe and be baptized to be saved, not man. 
Okay. So, okay. All right. We, we were going to go early. Now we're going late to okay. our break. We'll go to break. Jeff, get us to a break, and then we'll get back. We've got a few comments in the chat room to bring in as well, and uh, we'll take your thoughts as well. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. After these important messages, we'll be back to take your comments. Email them during this break. This is Greg Glenn with this week's bullet point. Can you remember who it was that taught you the gospel? Maybe it was a friend or neighbor. Perhaps it was a co-worker. For many of us, it was our parents. No matter who it was, there's something we know about them. They loved you. They loved you enough to teach you the saving gospel of Christ. Think about it for a minute. It would have been easier for your teacher, whoever it was, to simply keep quiet. It requires effort to teach others. You have to know the truth yourself. That means you have to spend time to study and learn. Then you have to be willing to speak up, to invest the time to teach, to expose yourself to the possibility of rejection. And not a few have had to withstand the unpleasantness of being ridiculed for what they have taught. Why did they do it? What motivated them into action? The answer is simple. They loved you. They loved your eternal soul, and they were willing to do the work of teaching you because they did not want to see your soul lost forever in hell. Now, what will you do? You have learned about the salvation that is in Christ. You have benefited from this knowledge in obeying the truth. Your sins are forgiven. You have the hope of heaven when you die. You have all the spiritual blessings that are in Christ Jesus. Are you going to now stop the chain of loving concern? Are you going to refuse to do for others as was done for you? If you do not teach the gospel to others, you are in effect saying that you don't love them enough. You are showing that you are unwilling to make the effort to go to the trouble, to speak up to save them. You don't love them like you should. Someone loved you. They loved you enough to teach you. Won't you show that same love to others? That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. I am Nestor Sanchez from Arica, Chile, in South America. And I love to listen to the virtual Bible study. And this moment, I invite you to participate in this program, too. A streaming Bible study. Why didn't I think of that? Now back to the guys. Welcome you back on the program tonight, and we look forward to your comments. And uh, the chat room is open, and it is a buzz. Uh, but the best way for your comments to be heard is at 877-381-4567. Quickly, just one comment to catch up from Brad in the chat room on this idea of baptism. He says, another thought about the thief on the cross. Jesus has commanded baptism for the remission of sins, but someone may argue that Jesus can forgive my sins when we meet face to face. Are you going to bet your eternity on that? Gambling that Jesus will pronounce you forgiven when you see him face to face while you spent your life in rebellion to his commandment to be baptized. That seems pretty shaky. I think I'll just obey his command and know that I'm forgiven. All right, we got to hurry. There's some other good comments in the chat room. Keep them coming, guys. Uh, I think it's pretty well covered there. We're going to move quickly to our next question from Steve, who asked, I was recently listening to the Bible study on submission. I was a little taken aback when you indicated that 1 Timothy 2, speaking of women in the church and how they have no authority to teach. A while ago, I do recall a two-study lesson that centered really on, the, on this issue, and it was made known that the verse in 1 Timothy 2, 2 does not refer to women in the church, as there's no mention of the church, and then you spoke concerning how women should not be in authoritative positions. I suppose you could exclusively use that verse to speak of women in the church as well, but maybe you could clarify what you meant. I think, uh, I'm sorry that we left some point of confusion on that. I think 1 Timothy 2 is not talking specifically about conduct in the church. Right. Uh, I think it's it's a general passage. Uh, and, and again, I'm not going to take time to read it, but you could begin in verse 8. Uh, all the way uh, down through 15. I don't, it's talking about men's and women's roles in general, not specifically in the church. 
But if it's generally true uh, that women are to learn in silence with all subjection, I suffer not a woman to teach or usurp authority over the man to be, but to be in silence, if it's generally true that women are to be in submission to men, then it would be specifically true in the church sure. that the women should be in submission to the men. Right. That's all we were saying. Okay. We weren't trying to be inconsistent. It's not talking exclusively about the church. It's a general right. expression in First Timothy 2. Right. But since it's general, it would have specific application in the church setting. Okay. All right. Uh, Eric says First Timothy 2 is not restricted to the assemblies of the church, but it applies there. And, uh, and so that he is in agreement. Uh, Chris in the U.K. says, well, where is it meant to apply? Are you saying to me that a woman must always dress modestly at home, which would make getting ready for bed difficult? And also, how could I uh, have a spiritual conversation with her if she can't say anything that may be teaching me? So surely this is in a public setting, and the one that Paul was an apostle herald with uh, would be the church. Uh, also, it would be hard to teach or preach being forbidden to speak, but to ask her husband at home. I would, though, say it would be fine for her to teach a Sunday school class or a woman's study. I, uh, I thought, though, wouldn't uh, know where I would stand, say, in a missionary setting where uh, there are no able men to handle the work. Well, I, I would say even in in a missionary type setting, then she used to be in submission. But it's not men, a for, it's not forbidding her to teach men. Even women can teach men in the right setting. Yes. Aquila and Priscilla taught Apollos. Okay. Uh, in Acts chapter 17, the end of Acts chapter is that right? Am I, yeah. 17 or 18. I need to look it's at the, it. Uh, but it's the relationship. And the, at, the and end the, of, at the end of Acts 18, Philip Priscilla taught uh, Paulus. But it's the relationship that she has. She in, has to be in submission. Okay. And that's all we were saying for 1 Timothy 2. Okay. Uh, Patrick, uh, we got an email from uh, Patrick. He says, uh, I am... Uh, I am unfamiliar with comments which were made in previous shows, so I will not comment on that. However, I will offer some explanation of the passage. First Timothy 2, verse 11, following says, A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit women to teach or have authority over a man. She must be silent. Speaking from a Catholic perspective, only males can be ordained clergy, and only bishops, priests, and deacons are to teach in public worship assembly. That is the Mass. Talking about his Catholic basis. Paul is likely also referring, at least in part, to a wife being submissive to her husband, as the Greek word translated man can also be rendered husband. 1 Corinthians 14, 33-35 speaks of the same matter, saying, uh, as in all the congregations of the saints, women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. However, we can see, even in Scripture, that that what is forbidden in the public worship is not completely forbidden altogether because we see women instructing even men in other contexts. Context, Acts 18.26, we read about Apollos. He began to speak boldly in the synagogues, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him and explained to him the way of God more accurately. So obviously for a woman to teach a man is not completely forbidden. The passage from 1 Timothy must be understood in that context. I would agree with you, Patrick. Okay. All right, on to the next one. This was that, in did the, I get all those? That's okay. all of them. We're done. All right. Oh, wait, in the chat room, uh, Paul, John does uh, say there are times in the letter when Paul was addressing the behavior within the church. He references 1 Timothy 3.15. Um, uh, you see uh, qualifications for elders in Chapter 3, support for widows in Chapter 5. Okay. All right, we got all that. Let's go quickly. So to... I think he's saying there are. you have to discern the context, whether he's talking about in the church or he's talking individually. Yeah, okay. Okay. Let's let's take the the next question. We won't maybe we can get it out there and just brief comment briefly and then come back from our yeah, break. I think this one's going to elicit a lot of discussion. 
Chris, our friend from Atlanta, says, I have seen news reports and documentaries reporting and showing in graphic detail the awful abuse that many food processing plants use to kill animals that we eat. Cows being stunned but not killed before being hung up and having their throats cut. Chickens crammed into pens and fed so many antibiotics they can't even walk more than a few steps and forced to live in their own excrement, etc. These reports we see are from credible sources, so I believe most of what is reported. As a Christian, are we condoning such abuse and therefore sinning by eating and purchasing these meat products from these businesses and farms that we know abuse the animals? This unfortunately includes many manufacturers' products that are sold in grocery stores. This is not a question of whether we are authorized to eat meat, but what responsibility do we have to the animals we eat? Okay, I uh, I would go to one part of his statement there that I would have some question about. We know we're we're eating meat from farms and businesses that we know yeah. abuse animals. Yeah. I, I don't know that. Now, are there cases of it? Absolutely. But I, I think the government is, you know, at least their, their business is to see that those kind of things don't happen. Yeah. And I, 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 I'm trusting that they do their work relatively well. I know that there are cases where animals were abused. But if I go and buy a package of hamburger at, at the grocery store, I'm acting in good faith that that meat is not from some process where the animals have been just cruelly treated. I mean, they've been treated, uh, in order for it to be uh, saleable in public places, then all those processing plants have to be inspected by the government, and they have deemed that these processes are uh, reasonably uh, humane. Humane. So I... But I agree with Chris. There are so you can find, and you can get on the internet and find videos of just absolutely horrid things that are done in some places to animals. But I'm trusting that the meat that I buy is not from such places. If I knew that it was, I wouldn't buy it. Okay. All right. Well, let's take a break, and we'll get our, your comments on the other side. What about this? Would you take meat, or should we abstain from meat because they could be cruelly handled uh, prior to being killed? But Chris's email reminded me that I need to ch- clean out my chicken cage. You better get those chickens. What are you doing tomorrow? Keep them out? All right. Uh, 877-381-4567. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back right after this. You won't want to miss what we talk about next. The discussion continues right after these important messages. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. A new report on denominations finds that church membership for more than a third of the nation's largest churches was down last year, while non-Orthodox Christian churches are on the rise. The Southern Baptist Convention, the nation's second largest denomination, reported a 0.42% decline in membership. Still dominating the list of the nation's top 25 mainline churches is the Catholic Church, which posted a 0.57 growth at 68.5 million members. Ranked 20th in size, the Jehovah's Witnesses denomination reported a 4.37% gain in membership, with a little over 1 million members total. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, also known as the Mormon Church, grew 1.42% to just over 6 million members, now ranked as the fourth largest denomination in the United States and Canada. Overall, total church membership declined 1.05% from 2010 to 2011. Denominations counting the biggest losses in membership included the United Church of Christ, down 2.83%, the Presbyterian Church USA, down 2.61%, and the Episcopal Church, down 2.48%. All of that information is via the National Council of Churches 2011 Yearbook on American and Canadian Churches. 
The Word of God says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Hi, I'm Jack Coleman, a member of the College View Church of Christ, with a suggestion for you and your family. Why not turn off the TV on Thursday nights and gather the family around the computer for an hour of in-depth Bible study? A virtual Bible study always involves subjects of importance and interest to serious Bible students. So, why not join this Internet Bible study group every Thursday night? For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. The virtual Bible study continues. We're back on the program. We'll, we'll, we'll remind you this program is brought to you by the College of Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more about us by visiting our website, The Virtual Bible Study. We're talking about eating meat that may have been handled cruelly uh, in its death. And uh, Chris wonders if we should abstain, and they're talking about that in the chat room. Uh, John just asked the question, is there is it a sin to be cruel to animals? Let me, let me put together an answer to that, John. Okay. Uh, first of all, God has granted man authority over the animal kingdom. Genesis okay. 1, verse 28, have dominion. He gave Adam dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Genesis 128. So man has authority over animals. Mm-hmm. Man is permitted to kill animals for food. Yeah. Genesis 9:3 for clothing. Genesis 3:21. Okay. In defense of of person or property. First Samuel 17 verses 34 and following. Now, having said all that, there's nothing in the Bible that would grant license to anyone to engage in the willful torture of animals, and it's hard to justify wounding uh, and killing of animals for nothing but just sport. You know, like the Spanish bullfighting, oh, yeah. for instance, or cockfighting. Yeah. You know, what's the purpose of that? I mean, that's just cruelty without intention mm-hmm. to, to serve the purposes that God gave us dominion over the animals to serve. Okay. All right. Uh, God, uh, God does have concern for lower creatures. The Israelites were not to muzzle the ox who labored in treading out the grain, Deuteronomy 25.4. Beasts of burden were granted rest on the Sabbath day, Exodus 20, verse 10. The Lord asked Job, quote, who provides for the raven his prey when his young ones cry out to the Lord, Job 38, verse 41. And Jesus indicated that not a single sparrow falls to the ground without God's concern, Matthew 10, 29. So to, I would argue to treat animals responsibly is a part of the stewardship responsibility we have because God has given us dominion over these realms. So that would be my argument. Okay. All right. But, uh, and, and as you mentioned, uh, we need to be careful about cruelty. Uh, Patrick in the chat room uh, responded with Proverbs 12, verse 10, and, and Eric did as well. Whosoever is righteous has regard for the life of his beast, but the mercy of the wicked is cruel. God expects us to have regard for the life of animals, Eric says. Some farming practices are indeed cruel and should not be supported, although it may not always be easy to tell. Another point on this same question, it's interesting how often the Lord is described as a shepherd who took good care of his flock, Psalm 23, John 10, whereas Israel's wicked rulers are compared to worthless and cruel shepherds, Jeremiah 23, 1 and 2, Ezekiel 34, verse 2, etc., even though these passages are figurative, the principle is clear that a good shepherd takes good care of his animals. Okay. Chris uh, writes, Chris is the one who asked the question initially, and he writes, I know a lot of propaganda, a lot of propaganda from radical groups such as PETA are, uh, is out there, 
but I have seen many reports from reputable sources. I have also spoken with a friend who is an ex-employee of a local chicken processing plant here that confirmed a lot of what I've heard. In my opinion, if we made, if we are made aware of the possibility, we should make an honest effort to investigate to see what is true and what is hype. After making that effort, we should take the information and make whatever decision necessary. I would agree with that. Mm-hmm. In other words, if, it, if, if, we, if somebody came up to you and, say, and says, I tortured this cow before I killed him, yeah. and, man, he suffered mightily, and I enjoyed every minute of right. it, and here's his meat. Yeah. You know, you know, I plucked his hairs one by one. Yeah. Uh, if, if that was the case, then uh, yeah, I, I, I would say I'm not eating that. Yeah. I'm not going to support that kind of a thing. Right. But – Having said that, when I go to the stores, as I said earlier, I'm acting in good faith that this meat is not from animals that have been treated in that way. And you made a point during the break, Jacob, that I think was a pretty good one from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 25. This was in regards to eating meat offered to idols. Right. But uh, Paul said, whatsoever is sold in the shambles, that eat asking no question for conscience sake. But he went on to say, if somebody makes a point, this meat was offered to idols and I'm offering it to you now, then don't eat. Yeah. No, in other words, if, if you get some information that compromises the legitimacy of eating this meat, don't eat it. But if, if you know, otherwise, eat it and don't ask questions. Yeah, it's uh, there's a certain uh, degree of separation, I guess. Yeah. Uh, yeah, 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 I think that's right. Chris goes on to say, I do not think God would support the blatant and cruel abuse of animals. There is, however, a certain amount of pain that cannot be escaped in the slaughtering of animals. That is not something I would consider wrong. But when we abuse the animals for the sole purpose of growing and killing as many animals as possible, then there is a problem, and I personally do not think we should be supporting these farms. If enough people choose to buy free-range and humanely raised and slaughtered animals from from farms that do this, then companies would start providing that. By supporting abuse, the companies will continue to abuse in order to sell enough to meet demand. Unfortunately, I have not reached the point of choosing meat from the humane farms, and as I look more into it, I may be convinced that I need to for the sake of my conscience. I would never try and bind this position on someone as this is a matter of conscience. I appreciate Chris's attitude about that. And I, 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 again, would reiterate, I think we are to be stewards of the animals. God put us in in control over them, and therefore we have a stewardship responsibility. I think it's plain to see that the Scriptures condemn cruelty to animals. And I don't believe in killing just for sport. Jacob, you and I have enjoyed some bird hunting in the past. When we shot a bird and got it down, we made diligent effort to locate that bird. We weren't right. out there just for the killing. We right. enjoyed the sport of it, but we also felt a, a, a responsibility to, to gather the, the, yeah. the birds and, and, and consume them. Right, and, uh, yeah, and treat them. Uh, yeah, right. Uh, uh, and Patrick says the, Christian, uh, the Scripture and Christian teaching is primarily concerned with humanity, not animals. However, an ethical treatment of animals is indeed part of the Judeo-Christian tradition. Proverbs 12, verse 10 says, A righteous man hath regard for the life of his animal, but the compassion of the wicked is cruel. Paragraph 2418 of the Catholic Catechism says, It is contrary to human dignity to cause animals to suffer or die needlessly. It is likewise unworthy to spend money on them that should, as a priority, go to the relief of human misery. One can love animals. One should not direct uh, to them, the effect, affection due only to persons. Likewise, I would recommend another article that he has here. As to whether we should buy uh, meat products produced in an ethical way, this is a matter of uh, prudential judgment uh, according to your own conscience. Boycotts can be effective if enough people participate. Writing letters can also be effective. Buying animal products from kosher producers. Jewish kosher law dictates the manner in which an animal is slaughtered so as to cause the animal the least suffering possible. 
or other ethically centered farms is a good practice, but do your research to ensure they are actually practice uh, practice what they say they practice and uh, know that such products are likely more expensive. Also keep in mind that while working for the ethical treatment of animals is a praiseworthy endeavor, you should keep all things in proper order. In other words, humans should be given priority. Okay. All right. All right. We've got a bunch of chat in the chat room, and I don't even... I don't even know if we can touch on it all. We're just... He goes on, and I appreciate this from Patrick. He says, uh, to the, the last question, he says, I've already spent two hours on the first three. I'll uh, send a second email regarding the last topic. And I've got that email, and I don't but, think we're going to get to that. But, uh, last two last hours. Time. Thank you, Patrick. Yeah, for, thanks for, for investing that. the time, Patrick. I don't think we're going to get to the, that last question. Now we're just uh, going to be out of time. Let, let me pick up. This, I think this has kind of struck a chord with people, this question about the, how, how animals should be treated. Um, let's back up, Jacob, all the way up to uh, uh, Patrick says, uh, uh, according to what I've read, slitting the throat was considered the most humane method yeah. of killing an animal, and, so it would die quickly. And Wade uh, follows. He uh, recently killed a ram that way, and he said he died within a minute. It seemed like uh, more, but it was very quickly. So he, Wade seems to say that that was an effective way, uh, a humane way to do it. Kevin mentions what Peter was told to do in Acts 10 concerning animals: arise, kill, and eat. Yeah, we have to be found, we have to ground ourselves on that principle that it is it's it is right to, to kill, kill and eat animals. Yeah. And so, I mean, it, in, does it cause pain? Maybe yes, but uh, God told us to do that, so it's not wrong to kill animals. We need to be founded in that. Uh, John says, "I guess I'll have to continue being nice to my dog." Yes, John. <laughs> can't, by can't, all means, can't either while you're at it. By all means, be nice to the dog. Uh, uh, Kevin Kelly makes the argument think of Ducks Unlimited, hunting clubs tree farms etc. All these groups use good stewardship responsibly to use that which they protect. You know that that's a great point. Concerning animals, the, the people who are most concerned about the well-being of animals is those who enjoy the sport of hunting them to consume their meat. I mean, and duck hunters are not out there mistreating ducks. Pheasant hunters are not out there mistreating pheasants. In fact, they're increasing their habitat because it makes their sport better. Nor are farmers as a whole mistreating animals. That's their livelihood. They want to take care of their animals. They don't want their animals just being, you know, in, in, you know, in their own. Yeah, Jacob, your bro your brother and I have a few cows. Right. They are a valuable possession to us. We're not going to mistreat them. We want to treat them well, give them what they need because we have a we have a, uh, uh, I guess. Uh, a, a return from what we and do. no more cows than you have you can give them a lot of attention that's right we pet them we do everything <laughs> all right uh, jeff uh, your thoughts yes i was just pointing out that you know if if these we're going to want to buy these products and the business wants to be successful what they're going to do is they're going to make them possible they're going to feed the animals they're going to take care of them. they got right. to that's their business the best, right that's their business product. right you're exactly right jeff all right um uh, and uh we were at a farm recently, and uh, there was a cow there. The lady made no bones about it. She was raising the cow to eat. It was going to be hamburger when it was all done, but she went over and petted the, the cow. And my wife said, you got to be careful. You don't want to get too attached. She said, no, you want the cow to be happy. Yeah. It'll taste better. <laughs> so. Well, that's the point we're making. Yeah. Okay. We're out of time, Jake. We didn't get to our last question. Let's hold it over. We may add a few more questions to do this again next week. Yeah. Uh, we got a question from Chris in the U.K. about false teachers. I'll yep. give you the rundown. But, but nobody wanted to talk about it. Chris was the only one who responded. Yeah, so, but but it, this obviously was a long, there were a lot of other things to comment about. I, but we, this is a really worthy question. Uh, Chris asked, 
this is Chris in the UK. He asks, what are the marks of a true or false teacher? How do we encourage those who teach us well? How do we guard ourselves individually and collectively as a church against false teachers? What does it mean to discern the spirits, as in 1 John uh, chapter 4, verse 1? What are the doctrines of demons mentioned in 1 Timothy 4, verse 1? Those are all great questions. We're going to... Uh, we're going to hold this over, Jake, and probably catch those next week. We've got one email. You may, some others may want to send in an email uh, along those lines. And if we prompted a question uh, tonight and what we said, if that raised a question in your mind and you'd like to pose a question for inclusion in that discussion, we'd like that at any time. Uh, we'll welcome we still any got question some questions in oh, our you pile. You can throw in some more. So yeah. we'll, but add yours to the list. The pile needs to be, uh, needs to be made deeper. And uh, we need to go ahead and call this uh, short. I think that we're going to be losing a lot of our listeners tonight at the oh. top of the hour. I think there's oh, a it, national it, event that people may yeah, want to be tuning yeah. into. I think the Republican National Convention may be drawing some attention away from us as we speak. Uh, they may be filtering out now. But uh, we appreciate you for joining us on the program. Deb, thanks for your time. Thanks, Jacob. Jeff, thanks you for being behind the controls. Job well done. And thank you for listening and participating in the discussion tonight. We hope you benefited from our study and discussion of God's Word together. We hope you'll make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And in the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life study his inspired word of the Bible, and live by it every day, you'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.